What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is the first time you're checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Second, a bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is a podcast interview series where we sit down with entrepreneurs, content creators, and just awesome folks that are on our radar and discuss the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they use to run their business, create their content, and overall, be more productive. Now, when it comes to toys, we use a more broad definition around here and not just relegated to action figures, Funko Pops, the usual stuff, because everyone's definition of toys is different. Some people might collect kitchen appliances, cars, motorcycles, jet skis, guitar picks, knives. So we like to use a more broad definition here. It allows us to connect with our guests on a more personal level, and it breaks up some of that business and entrepreneurial talk as well. With that said, let's jump into some housekeeping and jump right into this week's interview. So first and foremost, uh, two weeks ago, we were supposed to release an episode. We did not, but it was because we ended up having a wealth of internet problems here. Uh, as my wife works home remotely, sporadically, the, you know, when you work remotely, you have to use a VPN for a lot of your jobs. And her VPN, for whatever reason, was not playing nice with um, my current Orbi uh, wireless internet that I set up throughout the house, a mesh network, and um, had to get her work IT involved. And it created a lot of problems. Uh, Not so much in terms of getting her VPN working, because that we were able to do, but I had to reset my router. It broke a bunch of stuff. It was complete nightmare fuel. But we got everything squared away, and we are back on board and got a brand new episode on deck for you. Before we turn it over to this week's guest, I just wanted to remind you to take a moment if you haven't and subscribe to the RageWorks newsletter so you can stay up to date with all of the latest and greatest news, reviews, and info from RageWorks and the RageWorks podcast network. We're consolidating everything into one newsletter. Plus, newsletter subscribers will be able to be involved in contests before everyone else. Plus, also be aware of some of the awesome and very cool things we got in store for the rest of 2021 and 2022. That's going to do it for the housekeeping for this week. Nice and brief. We're going to turn it over to this week's guest, Bruce Chamoff. Let's get to it. My guest for this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade is podcaster, entrepreneur, and musician Bruce Chamoff. Bruce and I were connected via LinkedIn. I got to speak at Bruce's Podno 2021 conference and We're going to break down the toys and tech of his trade, how he got started, and all the different aspects of his business. Bruce, how's it going, my friend? I'm doing well, Rich. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and chat with us. Thanks for having me. All right. So I want to I want to kind of start. At the at the meat and potatoes of one of the things that you're known for, and that is the fact that you are the founder of the New York and Long Island podcast network. And the thing about that is that the concept of the podcast network is something that has picked up a lot of traction over the years, but you are truly one of the pioneers and the originators of it, especially doing it at the local level. And I want to start there with regards to how you got that concept started and what inspired you to even create a network to cater to the local New York and Long Island communities. Well, that's a, a loaded question, and I have 
no problem answering it. <laughs> so this happened this happened in 2005 when I first realized what podcasting was. I heard a podcast. Obviously, they were so new at that time that a lot of people didn't know what a podcast was. And be, back then, the Apple iPod was the biggest device, the biggest selling device. So I always assumed that podcasting came from the iPod. I'm sure a lot of people suggested that. I didn't think anything of it, didn't even give it one thought about what a podcast is or what we can do with it until I was in a bookstore. So I'm walking in Barnes & Noble, and I see the book from Todd Cochran, who owns the Blueberry Network, on how to start podcasting. And I, once I saw a book on it in the bookstore, I realized that this was going to be huge. So I immediately bought the book, looked at a couple of chapters like we always do, and bought the book and started my podcast. Got my podcast off, did, just got it off the rails with one show called the Fresh Music Series. Because being a musician and a songwriter, I wanted to not just promote my own music, but other local musicians. Like you said, it was local on Long Island, New York. And that went well. So I was getting a lot of traction through that one podcast. And then I realized that I do not have to, um, at that one point, I thought that podcasting was strictly just playing music. But then I realized that I do not need to limit this to just music. I can go to sports, technology, business, and I immediately searched the web and found out that there were podcasts in those category categories. So then I immediately decided, what if I created a network of podcasters, right? And the, net, the, the term podcast network came to me. And mind you, there are hundreds of podcast networks out there, like you know, yours, like the Rageworks. But I've never heard of a podcast network, the term. So I was convinced that I thought of that first out of, before anybody else. And I decided to contact other podcasters and tell them, hey, look, I'm having a website. I'm building a website where I'm going to network multiple podcasts. I'm calling it a podcast network. And I thought that the podcast network term would reflect like a radio network, you know, net, you know, radio or television network. Right. And I figured it's media. It's all about media. So let's call it a podcast network. And everybody who I talked to, 100% of them were all for it. And they all went for it. Um, then I had like a health podcast. I had a doctor on there. I had no idea what people were doing until I contacted them. And before I knew it, I had 20 podcasts on this network. And like most podcast networks today, they just list the actual podcast with a link to either an episodes page or somewhere else. But I decided, being a programmer, that I'm going to take all the episodes and put them into one feed. So the podcast network will be like a feed of all RSS feeds. And that's how it evolved. And at this point, I'm now, I now build three podcast networks. Wow. Now, with, with that, you, you know, on, on building them over time, you are also creating your own content. So let's let's kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about the fresh music series. You know, you're starting that podcast, you're sharing all this music with a local community. Um, what was your what was your setup like back then to get that started? Because obviously, as we as we progress as podcasters and get more seasoned on it, 
in your case, you kind of have an asterisk because as a musician, you know about levels, you know about certain aspects of discipline to make sure you sound right. So how was that? Talk me through that first that first podcast and getting your setup up and running. It was pretty straightforward at the time. Just reading Todd Cochran's book is exactly what got me started. And whatever the process he had at the time is exactly what I follow. Ah, okay. So you need a clean microphone. You need editing, you know, learn how to do all that and then go ahead and record your content. So my setup was basically, and I still have it today and I still use it, is a Samson USB mic, which you can buy at Sam Ash or Guitar Center. I bought that and I, at the time I had a Windows XP machine. <laughs> yep. It's now, now the, now the, it's a defunct operating system now. Uh, and nobody liked it back then, but it worked out well for me. And it actually processed all of my audio at the time. So I thought it was great. Um, being that I was a musician, I would play music live over it. And then also I would have other musicians and so, and bands send me their MP3s. And of course, podcasts are all about MP3s and WAV files. So that's how it, it just started evolving from there. Now, when especially back then, you know, obviously now there's so much about pod safe music and, and making sure that you have all your rights and stuff covered back then it was just basically handshake. I'm assuming you were asking fellow musicians like, Hey, I'd love to play your music on my podcast. Are you okay with it? Was that pretty much the approach? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we had a sign up form. So everybody was getting directed there when it came to the network, they would click up. You know, I think it's, I think I had a link up there, sign up your music or something like that. And then they would just fill the form out and upload the MP3s. And then I, of course, would download it and put it on the show. Now you've you've done so much. You've given people so many so many opportunities, especially at the local level, to promote their podcast. What do you feel has changed in your opinion? that has made podcasting so, so readily acceptable now, because obviously the pandemic played a huge part now and so many people sure wanting did. to, wanting to jump into podcasting, learning their, learning how to do stuff. But what was it for you that you felt was the tipping point for the medium itself? I just feel the popularity really. I mean, I don't believe that anything really changed from 2005 and then today in 2021 to me podcasting is still the same okay the only difference is i mean the mechanics of it is the same but the popularity has really carried it just like you know let's say that you know when the internet first became popular at the end of 1996 it's not like it just became out in 1996 you know the internet was around for you know five years before that and nobody knew about it and then all of a sudden corporations are telling people and telling their customers, Hey, we have a podcast. Why don't you listen to it? And I think it just started growing from there. And the honest truth about the podcast network that I started was I actually took it down in 2009 for some strange reason. I noticed that even though I started it in 2005, I was getting less and less people signing up. Mm. And the episodes weren't coming in as fast as they were back in 2009. And I thought at that point, podcasting was a fluke. And I'm sure a lot of people don't even know that because nobody, a lot of people didn't even pay attention to podcasting until a few years ago. 
So now I took the website down. I lost my domain. (laughs) Somebody else got the domain. And at that point, I just I hung it up. I didn't do my podcast, nothing. And then I noticed five years later, everybody is saying, again, listen to my podcast, subscribe to my podcast. And I'm wondering, should I put the network back up? Right. And I started doing that. So I just immediately did it. I saw that now it was back and it was here to stay. And now it's not going to go anywhere because it's so huge now. So strictly the popularity of and actually also the ease of entry. It's easy to start a podcast, so that makes it more popular as well. Absolutely. Now, in addition to the full plate of stuff you have, you also host a podcast, which is become a successful podcaster. Once again, just bringing value to the space, bringing value to the medium. Um, What motivated you to want to start doing that, especially when you and I both know everybody? There's always a podcast about podcasting. What made you say, hey, I'm going to bring something unique to that space? What was the what was the inspiration for you? Well, I listen to a lot of the podcasting podcast about podcasting, and a lot of them are a lot of fluff. And don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not knocking anybody's podcast about podcasting, but a lot of them do not go directly into the answers that people want to hear. And originally, I didn't want to start a podcast like this at all. But the one thing that started happening was now I'm up to 600 podcasts on the New York City Podcast Network, and people are actually coming up to me and asking me, how do I grow my audience? How do I monetize? How do I do this? How do I do that? And I got sick and tired of answering the same <laughs> questions all the time. I know that, that feeling. to me, yeah, right? <laughs> and that told me it was time to start a podcast. I mean, um, why, why answer five people at the same time when I could just record it in right. an episode? And that's how that came about. Now, the thing about it is you've been doing that and you've been releasing that content. And the the thing, how do you feel with regards to just the approaches now? Because the thing about it is with so many different quote unquote podcasting gurus and podcasting services out there trying to take a lot of the labor out of it. Do you feel that to a point it's eliminated uh, podcasters from really sharpening their toolkit because like you said, you got to learn editing, you got to learn promotion, you got to learn marketing. Now the, so many services come along, they offer all of that and they strip all of that away. So then podcasters just, they record and they don't realize that there's so much more into it. Do you feel that that's kind of watered down the the creative process for podcasting? I think it depends on the actual person okay. and everybody's different, right? So everyone has different preferences and different issues. Some of those issues that I've encountered just by having my own podcast and listening to other people is the editing. The editing is obviously always the biggest work, amount of work. And uh, it's very hard to edit a podcast on the fly. And I know a lot of people are experiencing pod fade just because of that. Mm-hmm. But then again, the people who are fine editing – don't like the marketing part of it because marketing is a lot of work and social media is a full-time job. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a lot. So I feel that these services are a very good thing for people because it takes a lot of the hard work out. And it, for some people, it probably, probably minimum, minimum, 
it mitigates the pod fade. Okay. And the actual and the stress that comes with that. Uh, podcasting is easy to record, but editing is not. So if you find somebody who can do the editing for you, that's even better. And you can even go to websites like Upwork, or which I know you've hired the one web developer from Upwork. You can go to Fiverr. You can go to a lot of people and a lot of different websites, and they'll do the work for you. Me personally, I don't trust people to edit my own work because mm-hmm. I know what I don't like about my own voice, and <laughs> I don't, and I know what I don't like about the little things that I say. Like I have, I have a big phrase, and I say, you know, all the time, you know. I no, do. You know, you know. That's my crutch word as well as a New Yorker. <laughs> you know is definitely it. <laughs> it's probably a New Yorker thing, right? Yeah. Other people say um and ah, and you want to – I feel that there's not another person who could take those out other than you, yourself. Right. Because somebody yeah, – someone else might not know what you don't like about your own speech. And that – but if you trust somebody else to do it, then yes, by all means – Hire them because if they want to do that work and you can afford it and you're worth a lot more money than what you're paying, definitely go to those services. Yeah, I know that there's a there's a where, you know, you introduced me to a lot of fellow fellow members on on the network that are out there doing exactly that, just editing and and really making people sound like their best selves. But to your point, it's true. You have to you have to really know and temper your expectations. I got to a point where I stopped looking for the crutch words and just left them in there. Uh, did I lose you? I think I did. Oh, there you go. I thought I lost you. Nope, you're on mute. I still don't hear you. Can you now? I no. Oh. Can you can you hear me now? Yes, sir. There you go. Okay. There ah, the go. beauty of editing. Um, yeah the uh, the thing about it is uh, the the editing aspect definitely burns a lot of people. I mean, it's I think one of the one of the perks we offer with the network is exactly that, that they can send us their shows. And then we give them like baseline basic editing to make them sound good for that exact reason. Cause everybody's voice is unique. I try more so to teach them how to edit because like you said, the only person who can edit themselves is you, you know, like you're your own worst critic. Now, one thing that you did last, you know, last year was, well, this year, excuse me, was organize Podno 2021 online podcasting conference, a lot of work went into it. And the thing about it was that you did it in such a quick and effortless way that it just blew my mind, mostly because you arranged for everybody to to have conferences and calls before the main conference to get people up to speed on everything. And the event itself ran pretty much all day. You pretty much worked a marathon for that event. And I want to talk about where, where were you, where did you get the idea or what was that, that, that lightning bolt moment that you're like, you know what, I'm going to do an online podcasting conference, especially now in the current climate. And it's, and it's something that needs to be done. Well, I appreciate that, Rich. Well, I always wanted to organize an event like this. And before the pandemic, I was traveling all over the United States doing public speaking engagements at WordCamps. So WordPress conferences were called word camps but even before even before word camps i was also speaking at 
a few of the podcasts. They don't have those anymore, but they actually did have a podcaster. They called it the Unconference, which was PodCamp, organized by Chris Brogan and Chris Penn. And Chris Brogan also spoke at Podno this year. Um, I spoke in 2006 at PodCamp New York and in 2007 at PodCamp Boston. And I just love public speaking. I know a lot of people hate it. For me, the more people I speak in front of, the better. I never get nervous about that. And when I got really good at WordPress, I decided to travel to different cities. Uh, right before the pandemic, I spoke in both Seattle and uh, Vancouver. Wow. My first time in Canada, first time speaking in Canada. And the Canadian audience was actually bigger, almost bigger than any United States audience I ever had. Wow. <laughs> it's like, uh, but I, I just love traveling and, and seeing other cities. Like I spoke in Chicago and Jacksonville and Atlanta. Um, and I can go on. Um, when I was at those events, I would always see how the organizers would work and how they run around and they do all their things. What I love about online events is you don't have the brick and mortar work, right? You never have to organize a venue and you never have to get catering for people, right? Right. Uh, probably two of the big, you know, two of the biggest things you have to, you know, work out a hotel a block of rooms at a hotel for your speakers and your attendees. So other than getting the venue, the food and the hotel, I don't think there's any difference between a brick and mortar conference and an online conference. And I, I always wanted to organize my own. So Chris Brogan, who is an incredible person, uh, very well accomplished. And he's mentioned in a lot of podcasting and social media books which still blows my mind. I was so lucky to get him. And I asked him, I said, you know, why, why did you stop doing podcasts? And he told me why. And I said, you know what? I want to contribute. I want to continue the tradition that left off with podcast. Only I want to do it online. And now here we are last year. It's the pandemic. And I know that the pandemic would not go away yet in 2021. So it was just a natural thing for me. Um, I asked Megan, if she wanted to, you know, co co-organize with me. And of course she did. And since we didn't have the brick and mortar parts of it, it was just very easy. It was very easy, very quick. All I had to do was talk to speakers such as, you know, yourself, great people, and just obviously do some marketing. And to me, it just wasn't all that much work, but maybe I didn't find it to be a lot of work because it just came natural from being at all these other conferences. Right. It was it was effortless. I, I I wanted to just take the opportunity and tell you that it was a well organized event. It ran smoothly, and the the wealth of information, the speakers that were involved were tremendous. And yes. coming coming off of that event and going into your own podcast, what what takeaways did you get from that event that you feel help you now as an entrepreneur and as a creator? Well, first of all, listening to all the speakers, I learned. It's, I mean, you know what you know, and you also don't know what you don't know. So sometimes when you're listening to another speaker, it's a wake up call and you think of ways of doing things that you never thought were possible because you see someone else doing it and you have that aha moment and that, and that aha moment comes to you, but not the, not the speaker because they've been doing it forever. To them, it's like second nature. So that was a very big reward for me. And also just bringing all the people together 
and giving some people an opportunity to speak. I know that when I speak at these events, I just feel so reward uh, rewarding is rewarding to me. And I love just getting in front of people. So I can't imagine that other people would not have the same rewards. And I honestly, and all and the biggest, the biggest truth about this for me is I really want to challenge myself. I never organize an online event. I've been to a lot of them, but never organized my own. And I just want to challenge myself and see if I can pull it off. Um, it just seemed so easy for me at the time. And I wasn't sure it was going to go well. And thank you for the compliment uh, telling me that it went well very smoothly. I wasn't sure. <laughs> it was, oh, of course. I, you know, I, it, it was just do, do, do the best work you can, prepare as best you can, and hope for the best. There you go. I think uh, that's a good way to, to go into what I like to call the hot seat. It's a series of rapid fire questions uh, regarding uh, entre, you know, the business of what we do and a few just regular questions to break up some of the business talk. Um, so obviously as a, as a programmer, as a creator, you rely heavily on a computer. Um, what are your, when you turn on your computer, what are your three most used programs on a daily basis? That's a really good question. And obviously because I'm a developer, I'm always I mean, the first thing I do is I turn on Google Chrome, and I think most people do nowadays, mm-hmm. whether you're a programmer or not. That's a given. Whatever web browser is, that's always the first thing that people probably think of when they want to go on the internet. And being a developer, I use Visual Studio Code, which is probably the most popular coding program right now. Um, it handles all the languages really well. And I actually, I can probably. I mean, I'm looking at my computer right now, and I would probably say because as a developer, sometimes I'll have Photoshop open if I want to do graphic uh, design, but sometimes I will have an FTP program open so I can upload whatever my code is at the time. And also, also one thing that developers are very heavily into is something called Git, uh, G-I-T. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you want to save your code in the repo and upload it. Uh, that's pretty much it. But nowadays, ever since I got into podcasting this year, I would have to say it's magics. Uh, magics is what most podcasters would think audio, uh, audacity is. Right. So it's, you know, it, it's a door. It's a digital audio workstation. Okay. And, um, why, what made you go with magics as your, audio workstation versus audacity or some of the other ones what makes that stand out for you well i use both but magics is an excellent tool to use for writing and recording music and audacity comes very close now audacity is excellent for podcasters but it's not excellent for producing music right you know if you want to get you know i I want, you know, I have five albums on Spotify and I'm coming out with a sixth one and I just want to sound professional. I mean, and I think a good program, which we call a door, a door, uh, the recording industry uses something. Uh, Pro Tools. Uh, pa- Pro Tools. Yes. Thank you. Uh, every recording studio I've ever worked, walked into uses Pro Tools. Um, I've tried Magic one day. Magics. I was in Best Buy, and it's. I think it's only in Best Buy. I have never found it anywhere else. They're a German company, 
And most of their software is in German, but they do have an English trans- translation. And it's just it's just as good as Pro Tools for probably about one third the price. And sometimes I record my po- my podcasts on it, but a lot of times I'll still use Audacity. Nice. All right. What's um What's your favorite piece of tech besides your phone or your computer? <laughs> probably my Roku device. <laughs> really? It's like it's sit down and watch, uh, you know, Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Yeah. As a, as a musician, do you have music playing in the background while you're working? Sometimes when I'm reading tech, tech, no babble, tech documents, things like that. No, (laughs) no, because I get so into the music that I can't concentrate (laughs) on learning a language. I'm always learning new languages for development. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned you 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 have your Roku device. What was the last uh, TV show you binge watched, especially with the pandemic going on? <laughs> well, I would love to say Seinfeld, but that's but a lot of people are into Seinfeld, and Seinfeld just came back to Netflix on October first, which is pretty good. So I would say, if you want to laugh, uh, Megan and I have gotten into the Golden Girls. <laughs> Man, that was a staple in my house as a kid. Yeah, I never watched the Golden Girls. I never watched one episode of it. I mean, when you said you were a kid, when I was a kid, I didn't care about watching a show, you know, for grandmas. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It was, you know what it was? The subject matter was always very questionable. So, you know, you kind of get attracted to that, to, to the, to the, um, to the comedy aspect because you know, like, man, I shouldn't be watching this or listening to it, but people would walk by and be like, ah, it's four old ladies. And, you know, you hear some of the stuff and you're like, oh man. It, it, it's so funny, you know. I mean, my my three favorite binge watched sitcoms definitely Seinfeld, on well now well, it was on Hulu, now it's on Netflix, and then Two and a Half Men on Prime, and Fu- I love Futurama, so I watched that on Hulu. But now I'm so sick of those shows. We actually, if you want to know the one I we fully finished was Mom. We watched Mom. We got all nine or seven seasons of that. Wow. And I really, I recommend that to anybody. That's a great show. What was the last item you purchased that was less than a hundred dollars that made your life easier or more enjoyable? <laughs> I got to look around the room. Okay. Just last weekend, I purchased something called cup call, which is a cell phone or a smartphone holder that you put in your cup holder in your car. Oh, nice. And it would cost, it cost 20 bucks. It was in the as seen on TV section in CVS. <laughs> oh, man. Sometimes sometimes that helps. Um, yeah. on, on the business side of things, what is a non-negotiable for you when it comes to running your business? Turnaround time. And ETA. Uh, how so? Do you feel, are you, are you a de- dependent on the ETA or do you feel that people should provide an ETA? No, I, I provide the ETA and I'm always very, I'm very strict with the client. And I say, I always tell, you know, sometimes clients, especially when it comes to building a website, people have a very unrealistic idea or concept of how long a website takes to load or, and build. And I've had clients that wanted something in two days, but I know for a fact that it would take two weeks. So what I would do is I would always push back. We're not trying to lose the client, of course, because 
sometimes they just they're stubborn in their own expectations and i say okay fine you want it in two days well you want a to z i can only give you a to d <laughs> you know and if i can give you a to d in the next two days would that work and then the other items will be phase two right and usually they're pretty good with that when you start talking in phases it's good but i never really i never negotiate on the eta money yes money they try to talk you down and you have you have your bottom line they you know they have their bottom line is how much they can spend but i never i never ex- expect their expectations and you, you can't because then you drive yourself nuts it works for me has you know has the pandemic made you more or less productive over the last year more productive really yes were you um what aspects of your business definitely benefited from the pandemic more than others well definitely the podcast and the podcast network okay because now i got to spend more time building it up there you go um growing up what did you want to be when you grew up a dentist really <laughs> yeah wow that's not i don't often hear that what what um what changed that trajectory as you got older? What changed that trajectory was that I suck in science. And oh. I realized you, you have to, I had to take biology and chemistry and physics. I'm like, I don't want to bother. So I changed. <laughs> gotcha. Well, on the subject of, of childhood, what was your favorite toy or collectible from your childhood? Oh, gosh. It would probably... Well, you know, when you're when you love toys as a kid, you can have a million answers. So uh-huh. that, that one puts that one puts me on the spot a little bit. Let's see. My biggest, I mean, maybe well, I had a train set at the time. Maybe with train set, like a Lionel thing. I gave that up when I became a teenager. <laughs> um, Those are worth so much money I, now. I know I, I shouldn't have. I, mean, I was really more. Of, I was more of an. I was more of an athlete. So right. I played base. I played baseball and soccer and tennis. So I really didn't have time for toys when I was a kid. Wow. Okay. But I. I, I would. I would say it's probably the train set. I mean, and I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm even giving you that answer. That's you know <laughs> the correct answer on that. As a as a musician, do you find yourself? always looking for newer instruments do you always do you want gear do you get gear acquisition syndrome with instruments the same way we do with podcasting equipment yes all the time (laughs) what was the last what was the last piece of musical equipment you picked up megan bought me a 32 track digital recorder from tascam wow and it's i've had it for one year and i love it um, as far as I had to buy a new mi- mouthpiece for my tenor sax, so I did that. I think that's pretty much the last thing I bought. Wow. Okay. Uh, to wrap thing, uh, last two questions to wrap things up. What's something you've changed your mind on in the last twelve months? My my attitude towards my daughter. Really. <laughs> How so? What what was what was the change? More, was it more empathetic or just in general the approach as a dad? It's it's more of an approach as a dad. I mean, she just turned eighteen, mm. and that alone should tell anyone who is an experienced uh, parent with a teenage <laughs> child exactly. You know, um, just to give you like the thirty second 
expansion here. Mm-hmm. She turned eighteen. She turned eighteen. She told me I was a toxic parent. Oh man! <laughs> um, because I'm I'm still living with that little girl, but she's not a little girl anymore. Of course, I think that's the you know, and I just have to give her some space and let her be an adult now. That's, yep. that's it. That's what I changed my mind on. No, that you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I I mean you know even myself uh, you know raising raising my daughter and raising my two siblings. I got to experience like that stuff when they got into those teenage years and, you know, come up to the school, talk to the teachers. They think you're a student. I'm like, you know, and the thing about it is you see that unfold and you're like, when you get older, you're like, damn, was it really like that when I was that age? And then it turns into a whole other uh, question, a crisis of conscience. And you got to sit there. And like I just said, you know, you start empathizing and you're just like, you know what? I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you figure it out. And then you'll come to me if you need something. Yes, you're right. How old are your kids? Uh, my daughter just turned three, but I raised like my two siblings for the last 20 something years. So, oh. you know, I got to I got to go through all of that stuff. You know, you're, you you don't listen to me, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, all that oh, fun stuff. Gosh. I get that now. You know what? When we were kids, I realized that there are three things we didn't have that the kids have now. We didn't have social media, smartphones or hip hop. Yep. <laughs> and and a lot of that and a lot of that stuff you, you know it's a very it's a it's a very delicate balance of whether it's beneficial or harmful because it's just a matter of how yes. your your kids consume it and how they choose to weaponize that data yes like absolutely. like being called a toxic parent like that's something you it's like you're reading that somewhere you read some column somewhere and all of a sudden now oh my yes exactly she must have read that somewhere because that's a word she doesn't come up with. Hey, hey. Came up with. <laughs> so there you go. I was, I, was the, I was the best dad in the world uh-huh. about at the age of 14. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, uh, somebody put up a meme recently w- about kids and they were like, your mommy, your mom, your and then your yo. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, Holy shit. Last last question. Um, if I call you up a year from now and I go, Bruce, how's the network or how's the podcast? What do you hope to answer with? Doing well. There you go. That's the that's the name of the game, my friend. It doesn't get simpler than that. That's it. OK, yes. <laughs> uh, last part of the show we like to do just to add some additional value. We call it reach one, teach one. We always frame up a different question depending on what the guest is into or what they're doing. Um, for you, I'm going to do a one that that will definitely resonate with you. You have to go and speak to a bunch of high school seniors about podcasting. What's a piece of actionable advice you'd like to impart to them? Always listen to your audience. Okay, that's it. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, the audience is what dictates where you go and how you grow. Yes. Exactly. A lot of people also seem to forget what social media is. The, the key word of social media is social. Yes. It's about people. It's, it's never about me or you. It's always, a, I mean, it's never about me. It's always about you, my audience. Right. And if you, if you, if you have that attitude and you don't be selfish with your own uh, marketing, you'll do well. I agree. I think that that's the, you know, the, the Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp outage was an eye opener for a lot of people that relied on those platforms to grow their business. Because, you know, I think I even said it when we spoke at Podno, I said, I'm like, listen, you have to grow your own, you have to grow your own garden because you're relying on all these platforms and all this stuff. And when they're gone, you're exposed. 
And it's just, it, it was an eye opener for, for a lot of people yesterday, a lot of businesses that they just oh engaged on Facebook, engaged on Instagram. And I said, listen, the data, the analytics, all of that stuff is wonderful. But now you're scrambling because you don't know where your audience is or what they're doing because it's the only way you connected with them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when that happens, you just have to turn your energy somewhere else in a different direction. Of course, with me, it was LinkedIn right. at the time, and I just focused on that. There you go. All right. Yes. Uh, to wrap things up, uh, where can people find you, connect with you, and keep up with you? Uh, they can always contact me on LinkedIn, which is probably where I am the most on social media. And they can always send me a message on the New York City Podcast Network. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to be respectful of your time. Bruce, thank you for taking the time to share the toys and tech of your trade. Thank you so much, Rich. It was an honor to be on this podcast with you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. I'm so glad I got to sit down and chop it up with Bruce. Bruce is an incredibly talented and innovative podcaster and a pioneer in the space that I'm glad I was able to share his story with you folks, especially as a New Yorker and someone who's really doing a lot for the podcast scene in the Long Island area. I'm really, really, really honored and privileged to have some time to sit down with him and share so much of what he does and what he uses to build his business, create his content and everything else. As always, links for a lot of those items will be in the show notes for this episode. As always, full disclosure, some of those items that you may click may contain affiliate links, which if you click and purchase, we will receive a small commission, which of course goes towards helping the podcast network, helping the show and everything else. As always, we strive to stay as transparent as possible. So some of those items, like I said, may contain affiliate links. Everything that Bruce discussed, as well as all of his social media, the New York Podcast Network, his LinkedIn, and everything else will be in the show notes for this episode. So make sure to check that out on the RageWorks Network or on the podcast platform of your choice so you can check out all the different ways you can connect with Bruce. And if you are a podcaster in the New York or Long Island area, definitely reach out to Bruce. He is doing so much for the space, growing the community on LinkedIn, really leveraging so much of what makes podcasting great and allowing for podcasters in the Long Island area to connect and network and really exchange information to grow their brands, to grow their shows, etc. And um, like I said, I'm truly grateful that Bruce took a few minutes to sit down and chop it up with us. Before we wrap things up, as always, if you want to keep up with RageWorks and the RageWorks Podcast Network, just look for RageWorks on the social media platform of your choice. We are there. Uh, the RageWorks Podcast Network does have its own Twitter account. It's RageWorksNet on Twitter. So if you want to follow just the network, you can connect with us on Twitter. Everything else is handled via the RageWorks brand. So as always, follow us on the social media platform of your choice for all of the latest and greatest news, articles, reviews, and everything else. And as I said when we started the podcast, I will throw out the other call to action there. Make sure to subscribe to the RageWorks newsletter. We're going to start doing a lot more things exclusively for newsletter subscribers, uh, first time access to contests and a bunch of other great things. Uh, number one, because I want to keep the newsletter audience fully engaged and because I know that 
to give someone your email and allow them to directly contact you. It's 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 a sign of trust. And we don't want to um, hurt that trust by overloading your inbox, et cetera. You're going to get once a week uh, a summary of all the stuff we're working on. Plus, like I said, contests, announcements and so much more. Make sure to check the subscribe link in the show notes for this episode. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, take a moment, give us a rating on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Every great review or just every review in general really helps us place better on iTunes, allows us to be seen by more potential listeners. And it's just another way to keep you folks involved with the growth of the show. So if you enjoyed what we did, please take a moment and give us a rating. And if you want to write a little something, that would be awesome, too. All right, that's going to wrap things up. I want to thank all of you for lending us your ears for about 45 to 50 minutes. And I'll see you guys in two weeks with another awesome guest for a fresh episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. Once again, thanks for listening. I'm out of here. Peace. Toys and Tech of the Trade is part of the Rageworks Podcast Network 
your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at RageWorksNetwork.com.